thing I can get excited about, it is God's Word. God's Word. You know, the student has his school books. The doctor has his medicine. The Chinaman has his rice. The pagans have their vice. And the Christians have their Bible. It's entertaining. It's exciting. It's life-changing. It's convicting. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's serious. Isn't it? All those things. We meditate on it. We memorize it. We learn it. We embroider it. We sing songs about it. We tell it to our children. Well, maybe not us yet. But we tell it to our friends and our parents. And our parents tell it to us. The Word of God. This morning I would like to understand and learn and discuss the person and the being and the creator and the author of this word and specifically how we should respond to the God that we know of so well in the Bible. The College Life Group at Grace Community a couple years ago used to meet at 445 on Sunday afternoons. And one afternoon, Matt MacArthur and I were, uh, we spent the afternoon at his house and we were going to go to Grace Community, the college group, at 4.45 in the afternoon. So about 4.30 we decided that we needed to leave. And uh, just as we were leaving, his father said, I think I'll ride with you two. I, I guess he had an elders meeting or something that he needed to, to attend to early in the afternoon. So he decided to hop in my little red Celica with me. And I wasn't too sure about that. Happened to be at that time that I was having a few problems with my car. The uh, fuel filter of my car was cl- was getting clogged every once in a while. And uh, for some reason, I forgot completely about that. So he hopped in. I said, great. And we went off. And uh, right here on I-14, as you head up, head up the hill, you know, we start heading up the hill. And uh, the fuel then has to go through the fuel filter. Well, it always does. But it's starting to go uphill. And my car, I can feel it now. And I'm starting to get a little nervous. It's starting, it's starting to shimmy, you know. And by the time I get all the way up the hill, the car's going like this, just, just shimmying. And I look over, and there's your president, my pastor, <coughs> shimmying with my car, going like this. I thought I, thought I was going to die. I kind of looked in the rearview mirror at Matt, and he was going like this. And I was really, I was embarrassed. I, I was really kind of afraid that we weren't going to make it up the hill. You know, and I was praying. I said, Lord, we're going to make it up this hill. But that was kind of just an embarrassing fear. I was kind of afraid, kind of just a little, you know, panicky, red face, you know. But I've, I've been in a situation before where I was scared to death. Have you ever been in a situation like that where panic takes over and you are scared? I was skiing with some friends the first year. I uh, learned to snow ski right after high school and uh, they were very good skiers. And uh, they decided that they were going to make me a very good skier also. So we were at Mammoth and um, we had been skiing and I had skied once before that with them about a month ago. And uh, I was trying some of the, the hard stuff, you know, I was taking it slow. And what they would do is they just go down the hill and then I would go back and forth like that. So I tried to, I tried, I'll, I'll ski this other mountain with them, you know. It, it's called Climax and rightly so because it just, it just comes like that together at a point. So I thought, well, you know, I can just go back and forth. So I did, you know, you drop in and you're thinking, this is crazy. And and I decided I'd drop in and uh, I'm zigging back and forth. You know, it's not real hard. And you're going back and forth. And the mountain's going like this. It's coming down into a funnel. So I'm looking down into a funnel. You know, it's just coming to a point. And they're gone already through the narrow pass. And I'm thinking around that narrow pass is cliffs. 
I'm thinking, if you go over those cliffs, you are going to die. So with that mindset, I thought I have to make it now through that narrow chute. And how am I going to get through that narrow chute? I can't zigzag back and forth. So in my wisdom, I thought, well, I'll take off my skis and I'll walk down, right? Vinyl jacket and all. So I started walking down and I was having a good time and I started sliding, you know, it was kind of fun. And then I took off and I was gone, right? And now I'm on my back this way, right? Going about, I was flying just down the hill and I was hitting the moguls and I was getting about 10 feet of air every time. But you see, the point is, is that I was scared to death because I thought I was going over a cliff and I thought I was going to die. And I was flailing like this to stop. I was absolutely scared to death. I thought, Lord, here I come. I'm coming home. And I was almost preparing my mind to fall over that cliff. Fortunately, I came to a stop and uh, I'm here today to tell you about it. But I was scared to death. There was a fear that gripped me. And this morning, that would be, I'd like to entitle this message, The Fear of God. Specifically, Fearing God. We'd like to look at the reality of God first. Second, we'd like to look at the reputation of God. Thirdly, then we'd like to look at our response to God. Now, we're almost building a case here, like an argument. First, the reality of God and being convinced of the reality of God. And then secondly, understanding God, God's reputation and, and understanding that. And then thirdly, how then should we respond? So our first point this morning, the reality of God in our lives. I really believe that we here as a whole believe in God. But sometimes I don't really believe that we believe in God. Now, do you understand the difference? You're going, uh, I don't understand the difference. What I mean to say is that sometimes I really believe that we as a whole believe in God. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, would we? I mean, we do. We believe in God and we have a school about it. We understand His Word. We believe in God. But sometimes as I sit and I think and I watch and I contemplate our actions that we display, I don't really believe or I come to the conclusion that sometimes we don't really believe in God. Last year I bought a subscription to Time Magazine and uh, they sent the magazine to my house every week all year long. And uh, I was here at school and I was busy and things were going on and so I became a Time Magazine subscriber but because of my busyness I think I read the magazine twice and although I was a Time Magazine subscriber it didn't essentially make me a Time Magazine reader did it? so often we say clearly who we are but we do not show it by how we behave Howard Hendricks has said and I think aptly that you can put any label you want on an empty bottle but it doesn't change the contents It saddens my heart and I see it in my own life. But every time we sin, we are in a sense denying the reality of God. Because sin is saying, I want to be my own God. And I I do not need you. And the peril in that statement is obvious. Because we know that God is real. And we know that we need God and we need Him. But yet, we deny Him. The illustration that comes to my mind and maybe comes to some of your mind is Peter. Right? Turn to Luke in your Bibles with me, if you will. Luke 22. The scene is Christ. He's being, he's being tried. 
And Peter was following him there. And Christ is going to his death. And the Pharisees and the elders and the scribes are trying Christ. And it's dark at night. It's early in the morning. And it says this in verse 54. Follow along as I read. And having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. Kind of just, you know, watching the crowd go. And after they kindled the fire in the middle of the court and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. He was kind of in the rear, kind of just hanging back. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the fire, looking at him intently, you can just see her gazing across the courtyard and seeing this man and thinking about it and gazing intently at him, says, This man here, Peter, was with him, Christ, also. But Peter said, what? He denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, another man said to him, You are one of them too. Peter said, Man, I am not. And he denied him, again for the second time. And after about an hour passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man was with him too, for he also was a Galilean. And the third time, Peter says, I do not know what you are talking about. I do not know him. And then immediately while he was speaking, what? The cock crowed. And then the Lord turned. And you could just, you could just if you understand the dynamic of that, that Peter has just said for the third time, he's denied the, the reality of his God and his Lord. And he says, he says I do not know him. And the, this verse, just, it grabs you. You know, and the Lord turned to him like that and they caught eyes, right? Turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly, ashamed that he had denied the very God and the very Lord that he had spent so much time with. So often we do that too sometimes. We do the same. We deny by our actions the very God. The very one we know to be real. And the question I have is if we are denying God in our actions, does that not spring from a denial in the heart? And it's true. We know God and we say that we love Him. But yet sometimes we deny. And we deny by our actions. Does our sin come come from a real lack of of wholehearted belief. <clears throat> what what's the bottom? What, what am I saying? What what's the bottom line? Either God is real, or He isn't. Right? Either the God that you say is real, or or He's not. There's no mysteries. There's no maybes. There's no in between. Either He is the God that He has revealed, or He isn't. I really believe that we need to get a grasp on that. That, that, that that's all there is to it. That either He is God or He isn't. Either we know of Him in reality or we don't. We need to let that grab our hearts, permeate our souls. I mean, if He is real, then we need to quit dinking around, don't we? Turn with me to Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you will.
says here in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We all know that. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And at times... It comes down to whether our whole heart believes the reality of God in our own lives. And so often, we deny the reality of God in our own lives. And I think that that stems from a denial in the heart, from a lingering question inside the heart. Because it says here, with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 10.5. It just says here in 2 Corinthians 10.5, We are destroying speculations and everything raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive. Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Flip over to Philippians. This is a couple pages over. Philippians 2.12. says here, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The reality of God in our own lives, the aggressive sanctification that that entails, understanding who God is, believing in Him, that results in righteousness, and taking an active, aggressive part in believing that. We see that God is real, and He's real in our own lives. And understand that's a foundation of what we want to say later. That we have got to be convinced that God is real. If we are to fear God, we have to be convinced at first that He is real in our lives. Convinced of the reality. The second point now. Convinced of the reality of God. And then the second point, understanding who God is. Coming to a full, balanced perspective of who God is. God's reputation. Who then is it that we shall fear? Or why should we fear God? Based on what? Many times we see, and rightly so, we see God's love, His grace, and His mercy. And a lot of times we miss out on some of the other attributes of God that are as equally as true of Him. Now understand, trying to get a full, comprehensive understanding of who God is, right? It's like trying to take a Dixie cup and emptying the ocean, you know? Just you can't do it all at once. So maybe just in the next few minutes we can highlight just a few things of who God is. An understanding and having a full knowledge of who He is, a balanced perspective of God, so that we can then build the second block to fearing God. God's reputation is very serious. We see many times throughout Scripture our God referred to as a jealous God, a consuming fire, a holy God. We think of Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah was standing before God and he said, Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. He said, Woe is me. We read through, and if you haven't, 
ever read through, you should. Ezekiel 1. And Ezekiel, just seeing a manifestation of God and seeing who God was in a limited aspect. We see that vision of Him. We see that manifestation of God. And we try to understand who God is. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We see over and over again in Scripture that God is serious. Is He not? And He does not fool around. There's an illustration in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. Have you ever heard of Korah's rebellion in the Old Testament? Yeah? No? Yeah? Shake your heads with me. Korah in the Old Testament was a man who was a, who was a layman among the Israelites as Moses had his, the Israelites in the desert. And Korah and some of his followers decided that they were going to do their own thing and rebel. They were going to do what they weren't supposed to do and they were going to offer sacrifice to God. They were going to offer a priestly fire that the, that the Levites were supposed to do. So they decided that we're going to do this and they said to Moses, we're going to do this in the morning and we're going to find out just who is right. And they said that to Moses. So the next day, God being serious understanding that Korah was rebelling against him, opened up the earth, and the whole group fell in. He consumed the entire group. Then also, the Israelites, from that point, seeing this, they decided to rebel against Moses. And they were grumbling and disputing, and God at that time, in His anger, in His wrath, in His seriousness, decided that He was going to throw a plague on all of Israel. And you can just see, excuse me, there's a millions of people out in this desert in, in, of Israelites and, and here comes this plague and they're just dropping like flies they're just going because God's upset at the Israelites and he's had it he's serious about this and they're just dropping like flies boom 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 and Moses I don't know whether he got on the chariot or what but he interceded and he stopped the plague and he said Lord you know and he called God back and he said and, and, he, and he interceded for them and the plague stopped and it says, in, it says in Numbers that 14,700 people died that day in rebellion to God. God is serious and He doesn't fool around. God is an awesome and mighty God. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 10.17 says it well, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. These are some serious words. Great, awesome, mighty. We take sometimes so lightly our Christianity, don't we? You know, it's just kind of a nice thing and we've got a nice college and, and friends and a Bible and a church to go to and, you know, nice things, right? But God is serious and we need to understand that there's a balanced perspective of God. How can we fear God if we don't have a balanced perspective of Him? If we don't see Him in all of His attributes, in all of His nature, and who He is. And there is a balanced side to God. Leviticus 11.44 says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves. Therefore be holy, for I am holy. We could probably go on for about two weeks trying to understand the full knowledge and comprehension of who God is. I was trying to put this together in my mind so I could articulate this to you, just to give you a balanced perspective of the seriousness of God. And I was racking my mind, to be quite honest, trying to, you know, just to, to correlate that in my mind so that I could just boom, 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 boom. 
And I, and, and I was just going back and forth. And, I, man, the Word of God is so rich. And there's so much in there, you know, about God and who He is and how He's revealed Himself to us. And finally, I just I had to take a break. So I went downstairs and I grabbed a cold pizza, you know. And I stepped into the fridge and I grabbed the cold pizza. And it was a pretty good cold pizza. It was uh, pepperoni, lots of cheese. And I was eating my cold pizza. And uh, <clears throat> I bit into a bell pepper. Now, I, I don't know about you, but bell peppers and I just, we don't, we don't go together. You know, it's not my thing. It's not what I do. You know, bell peppers. And uh, so I, I, I just, you know, I immediately opened the trash can lid and out went the bell pepper. And uh, I realized at that point that I hate bell peppers. And I was sitting there eating this cold pizza, you know, and I was thinking about God. And I said to myself, you know what? How can we sum up God? He hates sin, just like I hate bell peppers. God hates sin. He hates the taste of it. He hates the look of it. He hates sin. Over and over again, we see that God cannot put up with sin. I believe that is why we see the symbolic and literal descriptions of fire. You know, it says in Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. And so many times it speaks of God and his wrath against sin. We started off with Peter as an illustration in the first point. And in the second point, understanding God's nature, understanding the seriousness of God. I think Peter, after denying God and then the Lord so graciously brought Peter back into fellowship with him. Peter realized the significance of God. In Acts chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, just follow along. Chapter 2 and 3, we see that. It is truly incredible to see God's hand in Peter's life and to see Peter respond of God's reputation. Peter had come to a full understanding of God's plans and insight who God was. It's funny, in Acts 4.13 it says this, it says the enemies of Peter and John made this observation. They observed the confidence of Peter and John. And the enemies of Peter understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. But yet they marveled. They marveled at Peter and John and the full knowledge that they had of their God. Peter says some of these things. In in Acts chapter 2 verse 23, he talks of God's eternal knowledge of salvation. Talks of God's plan, God's salvation plan. He speaks of the power of God and the resurrection. He speaks of the covenant blessings through the lineage of David. He speaks of the deity of Christ in verse 36. In chapter 3, he talks about God as the father of Isaiah, Jacob, and Abraham. He talks about, in verse 14, the righteousness and holiness of God. He speaks of the prophecies of Christ. He speaks of the plans of God. He speaks in verse 23 of chapter 3 in Acts of the seriousness of God. Peter has taken a step now. And he's now understanding the full nature of who this God is that he serves. Understanding who God is. Step, step number one, being consumed with the reality of God. Being convicted in our hearts with the reality of God. I think so often that we go around unconsumed with the reality of God. Just, you know, just a hair short of who He is. Then understanding a full knowledge of God, like Peter had. Come to a full balanced perspective of who his God was. 
This brings us to our third point. After knowing these two things, how then should we respond? How then shall we respond to the God who we know is real? How should we respond to the God we understand in His seriousness? <clears throat> turn to 1 Peter 1.17. I think it's fitting that we should turn to 1 Peter, don't you? And we see Peter's writings. 1.17. How should we respond? You know, just a, this is a free thought for you. As you turn there... Going to Scripture with objectives, like wanting to learn about God, brings Scripture so much more alive. You know, you, you know, you need the, you know, you need the Word. You want to learn about God. Just going to Scripture and just with an objective of learning about God brings Scripture so much more alive to you. In First Peter one seventeen, it says, "And if you address his Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear." During the time of stay upon earth. Conduct yourselves in fear during the t- your time of stay upon earth. I believe that foundationally, that we are people who need to fear God. <clears throat> now many people all the time, and I rightly also, ask the question... How should we fear God? Well, what does it mean to fear God? Practically speaking, what does it mean to fear God? As we read in Peter, we ask, well, what, what does it mean to fear God? So many, so many times we think, oh, it's some kind of ethereal thing, you know. But what does it practically mean to fear God? And I think we have to understand what fear means. The word is phobo in the Greek, not hobo, phobo in the Greek. And it's a dative of means, and it means to panic, to fright. It it has to do with awe and reverence, fear that which causes a flight. It's respect and reverence. Now think back to what I was when I was talking about falling down that hill, being consumed and having a full knowledge of what was happening to me. I was in fear of what was going to happen. I was I was respecting what was going to happen. I was in awe of what might happen. To me at that point. Terror and dread also highlight this word. Hebrews 12.28 says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude that we may offer an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. Fearing God is respecting God. Revering God and being awed by Him and His power. It is to take into account who God is and to transfer that respect for Him to your fellow man. I got a quote here and follow along here. This quote is is thick and it's good and it's got a lot in it. Follow along with me as I read it. A reverential fear of God as a controlling motive of the life and matters of spiritual and and moral. Not a mature fear of His power... Not a mere fear of his power and righteous retribution, but a wholesome, catch this, a wholesome dread of displeasing him. A fear which banishes the terror that shrinks from his presence and which influences the disposition and attitude of our circumstances. They which are guided by a trust in God through the reality of the Spirit. What we're talking about in a fear of God, in a response to God, is a mindset. A lifestyle. 
a reverential fear of God as a controlling motive in our life. A wholesome dread of displeasing God. That's a new one on us, isn't it? That we, that we, as we deal and we respond in life, we are to have a wholesome dread of displeasing God. <clears throat> we have respect and re- revere for God. <clears throat> we, sometimes the, the wholesome dread type feeling is that we get a wholesome, sick to the stomach type feeling of displeasing God. Turn with me with you to sec, to Second Corinthians seven one. It says there, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now that you're there, we'll read it again. Therefore, having these premises, beloved, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. That means both in and out. From all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In, in, in uh, Hebrews 11.7, it talks about Noah and that he had fear in God and so he built an ark. Fearing God, as I see it, is understanding, is an underlying motive, an internal attitude for the living life to which we as Christians are called. It's an underlying attitude. It's an internal attitude. Fearing God is trying to please God in all respects. <clears throat> Turn over to 1 Peter 2.17. As we bring this, as we synthesize this down to a whole. Fearing God. The reality, understanding who God is, and our response to Him. Fearing God. <clears throat> First Peter 2.17 says, Honor all men, love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. Fear God. You know, and if I just may share my heart, fearing God, I believe so much, so often, manifests, manifests itself in the attitudes and actions we display to those in authority over us. Turn with me to Romans 13.1. Romans 13.1. And we'll read in there just for a second. And understand what I'm saying here. That fearing God so often, a lack of fearing God so often displays itself in how we respond to one another and how we respond to the authority over us. Romans 13 says, Let every person be in subjection the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior but for evil do you want to have no fear of authority do what is good and you will have praise from the same fearing God manifests itself out in how we respond to authority. How we line ourselves up under the authority that God has given over us. Fearing God is lining ourselves up underneath that authority. <clears throat> In conclusion, three things. The reality of God, our, re- our understanding of God's reputation, and our response to Him. To have fear for God or to be 
to live in fear is not some type of weird thing. It's not some type of not some type of pious understanding, you know, that only weird people do, you know, out in the bushes. Fearing God is a practical daily living thing. It's what the New Testament calls us to. It's a New Testament principle that we can apply to our own lives. We as Christians should maintain our respect, our fear, and our reverence for our King. We above and beyond all people should be worshipers of God. We are ascribing to Him worth and reverence and awe. You know, if I just may share, I feel as though this message, you know, as you, as you give them, they, it comes a little heavy, you know? It, and, and you're receiving it as though it's a little heavy, you know? And so shall it be, you know? A little heavy, maybe it needs to be, you know? But I really believe that I'm hot. I really believe this and what I'm saying and I don't know if you can pick this up on the mic but I'd like to stand and just talk to you for a second I, I really believe and if you understand the argument here that we sometimes are not convinced in our hearts of God now that's not to say that we aren't Christians that's not to say well you know maybe this guy's not a saved I mean that's for you to, to reflect in your own relationship with God but, but the point is, I mean, sometimes we really don't grasp the whole conviction, a, con, a, con, a convincement in our hearts of who God is. Now, you know, the reason why I say that, and I don't think it's, it's just us or just me, I think that's all of Christianity today. You know, and if it's anything that I want to be of a part of in my life later, it's bringing this back to where it ought to be. And I think that Christian people need to be God-fearers. And I think basically they lack that, first of all, because they don't are not convinced of a reality of God. You understand what I'm saying? That was me, up and down. Tell me, understand. Thank you. You know what I mean? I mean, they just, they just, they're dinking around. You know? They got what they got, and they need what they get, and they, they hope for what they hope for, but they're not convinced thoroughly of who God is. And secondly, our second point was, they don't understand who God is. In our evangelical fundamental world that we're living in of Christianity, I really believe that we're lacking a fundamental foundational knowledge of who God is. You know, and I say that and I look at you folks and you don't, do you? Lack that. You understand who God is in His seriousness. So let me lay a challenge before you if I may. That is a challenge, that is an understanding that you can take to a dying world. Believe me, it's dying. Just a quick uh, highlight from the battle. I was at home yesterday with my family, none of whom are Christians. Sad, sad to say, I've been praying for them for a long time. But none of them are Christians. My, just all the way down the line, none of them are Christians. And believe me, they have some weird concepts and views of who God is. They have some weird concepts and views of who I am and what I'm doing sometimes. You know? And, and I'm telling you, folks... It's, it's fragmented. It's, it's fragmented. It's sad. You know, they don't have anything to live for. They don't have things that they're going for. You know, they got split families. Uh, my little nephew just, he breaks my heart every time I see him. You know, because my sister is, uh, is divorced. And uh, I see my little nephew who has no father consistently in the home. You know, to discipline him and to raise him up in the fear and the things of God. And he, and he just progressively is copying an attitude. Copying an attitude. 
And I believe that's our responsibility to take what we know and what we believe, to be fully convinced of it and to fully know it to a lost and dying world. So then in our third, and lastly, then if we are not responding here, will we respond later? If we're having trouble now in our greenhouse responding to God, will we respond later? And the answer is no. The answer is no. We won't. We need to respond in fear to God now in our attitudes. And what does that mean? What does it practically mean to fear God? How, how should, we, should, we, should we practically fear God? It's just a right respect for God. <clears throat> how then can we fear? Just a couple of practical applications. How then, if we don't, can we fear? Check out the realness of the reality of your own belief in God. Secondly, maybe, talk to someone about it. Talk to someone, talk to someone about what's going on in your own life. Share with a brother or sister in the Lord. Start on the path of praying for fearing God. For fearing God. And thirdly, choose to fear God. Make that choice in your heart. You know, I believe so often that we we try things. If you will, we we try different um, we try different methods to fear God. We we uh, say if we add water and vitamin C and and this and that, then we're going to come up God fears. And I and I think that so often we miss the point of just choosing, making a mental decision in our own minds to fear God. Just just choosing in our own in our own hearts that we as people are going to fear God and have a awe and a respect for Him. <clears throat> Start respecting and giving Him the esteem that He deserves. You know, and, the, and I think the first place we can start is to respect those who are in authority above us. Right on down the line, just to fall into line and respect and revere those in authority above us. And then, and then we can learn how to fear God Himself. Why don't we just close in a word of prayer? Father God, I'm so thankful for my fellow students. Lord, they mean so much to me. Lord, I've learned so much from them and how much they've taught me. And Father, I know how far short I fall from fearing you at times. This may have well been a message to my own heart. A message to Todd Brooks to quit dinking around. A message to my own soul as I become a young man and headed for different things. Lord, but also you have spoken to us this morning. Lord, you decided that we needed to hear from your word. And you have spoken to us and maybe you've spoken to some of our hearts, Lord. I just pray that, that we would let it grab our hearts, who you are, that you're a God that we pray to. Father, there's just so much going on in our lives that sometimes we, we, don't, we don't turn to you. And you should be the foundation for everything that's in our lives. You should be the foundation for, for everything that we do in our lives. Father, we come before you as people who want to change our attitudes. As people who want to know more about you. And have a greater respect for you. 
Lord, we're so thankful for the authorities we have above us here at the Master's College. Here that you're teaching us and here that we're learning. Lord, we just thank you so much that you would continue to let us grow in you. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, what a, what a joy it is to be counted among those in your kingdom. Father, may we go today to rejoice in you and to think highly of the fear that we should have for you. In Christ's name, we would pray and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much.